0: Am I on? Yeah, okay. All right, so we're going to go ahead and get going. And I will start with a moment of prayer. Lord, uh, thank you for the opportunity we have to come together in fellowship to discuss um, the deep things of Scripture about who you are, about who we are. Lord, our necessary relationship to you. Uh, how you reached out to us, um, Lord? Uh, you know it, the undeserved salvation that uh, we we can receive, Lord. We, we thank you for all the blessings that uh, you are ready to pour on out on us, Lord. And we just uh, I just pray that this would be a productive time um, this morning. Amen. So we're doing a series. Vince is doing a series on words, right? I think he calls words or terms, uh, which is, you know, essentially like a hair's breadth away from really just talking about doctrine. I don't remember all the different terms that have been covered so far. I think last week was substitutionary atonement. The week before that was imputation. I don't remember what, what some of the others were, I'm sure, but they would come to mind if we had a discussion about it. So I can't really do a review for you. That Vince, Vince normally does a review, so I don't. If you guys just want to start blurting out review information, you have, you have a moment. Okay, so <clears throat> today we are talking about um, what I found out was maybe one of the most contentious issues in church history. Certainly, uh, and that has certainly not changed. And when I say one of the most contentious issues, I mean in terms of something that is considered theologically important. Um, and has been essentially left unresolved for 2,000 years. So if you were to do any kind of reading on the word repentance um, as, as a concept, because that's what we're talking about. We're not just talking about the word. We're talking about the concept in scriptures. That <clears throat> you would find that um, there's some good, bad, and ugly all throughout, all throughout uh, church history. So before we get into that, i i need to lay a very quick important and i think um, <clears throat> agreed upon foundation uh, concern that is connected to repentance before we actually start talking about repentance um, so let's let's go to john 2031 I'm not going to spend a lot of time establishing this uh, because I think it's well-agreed-upon or well-accepted fact. And I'm not going to say what it is just yet because I think it will become apparent and clear, hopefully. The book of John, chapter 20, verse 31. Did I... I said 30, I have 31 written down here, but there's, oh, there it is. I was going to say there is no verse 31, but it's it's really small, and I didn't see it. But these are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So we'll call that Exhibit 1, okay? Uh, Let's go to Ephesians the Book of Ephesians. Book of well, some people probably turn faster than me. If you get to Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and, eight and nine, just uh, go ahead and read it out, please. Thank you. Romans 10, 9 and 10. <clears throat> because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and thus has righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses and thus has salvation. And then finally, somebody can get to uh, Galatians 2.16. And then somebody else can go to Galatians 3, verses 6 through 7. <clears throat> Okay, so what we're establishing here and what I think we all agree on is uh, salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ. That's it, right? It is, it is an unmerited gift that we receive through faith. And then we would, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about uh, imputation, right? So we could, we could put this in contrast to, say, some other forms of cooperative salvation where where salvation is a at least to a degree a merited reality right so uh righteousness will become infused to you it becomes intrinsic to who you are and you actually at some point have merited the salvation that you have received as you cooperate with christ so that would be like a you know a roman catholic view okay a non-Roman Catholic, a Protestant view, if you will. And when I, and when I say Protestant here, I am including—I don't want to insult anybody—but I am including Baptists, even though there's probably a good argument for saying Baptists as a uh, religious, um, uh, not a denomination, but as a as a historical lineage of of theology uh, existed prior to the Reformation. But I don't want to have to make that distinction every time I talked about something that we would say within Orthodox Christianity that is not Catholicism. So I'm just going to say Protestant, okay, Protestantism, okay? Um, Because if I just said non-Catholic, you know, I don't want you to think I'm talking about Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or Seventh-day Adventists or something like that. Okay, so salvation is in uh, an unmerited, by-faith-alone, grace-alone transaction, if you will. Transaction might be too strong of a word, but we are talking about uh, repentance now, okay? So the, the word we're going to be talking about today is repentance. So let's start with the definition, right? It's always a good idea to start with the definition. So I have here a couple definitions, okay? Um, and the definitions I have are for the English word for repentance, right? Because, well, that, we all have English Bibles in front of us, so, and this is the word we're talking about. But just remember, I, I don't think this, you know, this is one of those things that uh, should be said, just so it's reminder. you know, we're all reminded of this. Uh, the translators, when they went from Greek to English, had to think about which words they were going to choose, okay? And so we'll get to the Greek word in a second. But repentance is an English word that is always connected to three Greek words. And these three Greek words are always translated into repentance, so they don't have like a variety of... Of different English words that uh, they were translated into. Generally speaking, okay. And words have what's called semantic range. Some of you may know what that is. Semantic range is just all the potential possibilities that a word has, and then you decide or you we we understand the uh, the range or the actual meaning based on the context, right? And that's what I always talk about context. Context kind of like limits, dictates, constrains what is actually being communicated within the the framework of that word. So the word for the the definition of repentance um, from the modern Webster's Dictionary is to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life, to feel regret or contrition, to change one's mind. Um, and then it could be a verb, too, but, you know, to cause to feel regret or condition, to cause to feel sorrow. So that's the modern Webster's Dictionary, the, the Oxford English version, which seems to have disappeared. Oh, I think it's uh, on my phone. Because I, I was working on this till really late, and I kept updating it and then sending it to my printer, and I think I just stopped printing because um, me and my printer don't get along. We don't need the Oxford English Dictionary. If you want, it, if you want it, it isn't that much different than that. You can look it up, but I also have the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, and a lot of Christians like to go to this um, because it's old, and I guess Christians like old things. <clears throat> so here is what the 1828 Webster Dictionary has to say about repentance in terms of meaning: one, uh, to feel pain, sorrow, or regret for something done or spoken, as to repent. That we have lost so much time in idleness or sensual pleasure. To repent that we have injured or wounded the feelings of a friend. A person repents only of what he himself has done or said. And I'm I'm not... This is not my commentary. I'm just reading what it says. This was in the Webster's Dictionary. Second option. To express sorrow for something past. To change the mind in consequence of the inconvenience or injury done by past conduct. Applied to the supreme being... To change the course of providential dealings. And it gives examples like Genesis 6, 7 and Psalms 106, right? Uh, Because God is not the being God is not a kind of being who changes the way man changes, right? So when we talk about God change when we talk about man repenting, changing minds, we usually we go, Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I realize I I don't want to think that way anymore. God doesn't have those kinds of um, epiphanies, right? And in theology, to sorrow or to be pained for a sin as a violation of God's holy law, a dishonor to his character and government, and the foulest ingratitude to a being of infinite benevolence. And that's what Webster wrote as the meaning of a potential meaning of repentance. Okay, so those are English meanings of repentance. All right. So there's a little bit of room, a little bit of variety in terms of uh, range for the meaning of the word. Uh, it is also associated often with the idea of penance, right, to make penance, right, to do penance. So like when you're repenting, you can, part of repenting can be to do a penance. Um, you certainly, this is the the easiest examples of this would be the the Catholic, the Roman Catholic view of penance, right? You get your rosary, you say Hail Mary's, you you get on the ground, whatever it is you do. You do your required penances and you have fully you can be seen as being having fully repented, right? That's the that's the uh, the, um, the the marker, yeah, the marker for your repentance. So that's the English. But what about the Greek? Okay, so there are three primary Greek words. There are three primary Greek Greek words. Um, that are used, that are translated to repentance in all of Scripture. When I say I include the Old Testament, because when I say that, I mean the LXX, the Septuagint. So the the uh, you know, if you guys know your I know, your biblical history, I suppose it's not, it doesn't qualify as church history yet. But your biblical history um, during the intertestamental period, the, there were seventy Jewish priests who got together and um, to protect the Hebrew texts of the Old Testament. They translated it into Greek because um, the Greeks were out there burning and destroying everything Jewish, and they figured, well, if it was written in Greek, maybe they'll leave it alone. And so they translated it to Greek. It's called the LXX, which is the 70, or the Septuagint, which means the, se- the 70. And so when in the Old Testament, when they saw Hebrew words, which I'm not going to get into. We, you know, we, cert- we don't have enough time to get into everything, right? But when there were certain Hebrew words... Um, they chose, you know, when it talked about the ideas of uh, turning um, or running or cowardly, like like the idea of like cowardly turning away, they would translate it to these Greek words, and then the English translator translated these Greek words into repentance. That's just kind of a quick couple uh, dots being connected. So there are three Greek words. There is, well, actually, I have. Brought this up on my phone and see if this works. Oh, my phone was on.
1: Metanaeo.
0: In case you didn't hear that, do it. Strong's
1: G thirty three forty. Metanaeo. Metanaeo.
0: So Metanaeo is like the root word that the other words are either related to or built off of. Metanaeo. There's metanaea, and then there's metamalamaya. See, that's why I played it, because it sounds silly. So these three Greek words, in Greek, okay, they carry the meanings uh, to repent, to think differently, to reconsider, uh, to have sorrow for, to feel guilt for, have a, like, have a reformation, okay? Those are your options. So those options in Scripture have essentially created, early on, one of the longest-running battles in church history. And maybe not battles. Battles, maybe, because... It, I always like to. Whenever I start doing something like this, I, I always want to know what does the church believe, different ways, different times, all, all throughout history. And when I say church, I don't mean necessarily the Roman Catholic Church. I just mean people who, uh, you know, profess to be Christians and start writing about it. You know, because if you're aware, you have the you have the, say, the Testamental Councils, which was there was one. So that's like AD seventy in Jerusalem, where they talked about. Um, uh, what, what Gentiles need to do to enter, once they convert, to enter into the faith. You know, the, the Jews are going back and forth with them. That's the first council. It's the Council of Jerusalem. And then you have the pre-ecumenical councils. You have, like, a dozen of those. Those are in, like, the first century. Once you leave the testamental periods, you have, you know, the first second, century and the second century and into the third, third century and the fourth century, right? So that would be the 300s, okay? Then you have what's called the ecumenical councils because you have all the churches. Remember all the churches that the, the uh, apostles wrote to. So you have like the churches up in Italy and Macedonia and Greece and Turkey so like Galatia down into the Middle East. Those, you could split those into the Eastern and Western churches, right? And they started all the, uh, the pre-ecumenical councils were just local councils where you'd have a church here or a church there. Like, well, we need to start talking about something. How, we got to figure this out. There's a heresy, there's a heresy we need to deal with. Okay? Uh, here's, and, then, and you basically get to your first ecumenical council, the council in Nicaea, where you have the Trinity, right? That's where they talk about the deity of Christ and the, the Trinity. Uh, it was probably one of the, probably the, most, imp- one of the, the most important council uh, in church history. And then you have, shortly after that, maybe the, the next most important one is the Chalcedon, which was like maybe 60, 70 years later, where they talk about the hypostatic union and the deity of, they reestablished the, uh, you know, the deity of Christ. I'm saying my point here is the church has been talking about this stuff for two thousand years, okay. One of the things that they haven't been dealing with in these councils is, is the idea of repentance. There's no there's no discussion on repentance in any of these councils. Um, there's no there's no heated debate, okay. And it's so when I say this is a, a, a consensus issue, I don't mean that there's heated debate in these councils among the churches. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that almost from the beginning. And I say, and I mean, so the post apostles, okay. Once you leave the apostles, once you leave the new Testament documents and you get into the early church fathers and what they start saying, okay. When they start talking about repentance, they are always talking about repentance in relationship to baptism. And I didn't, I was very uncomfortable with that. Right. Um, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to. I don't know how to, to, to deal with this. So I'm just going to roll with the punch. Okay, I'm not. I'm not up here trying to convert anybody. to Any kind of baptismal regeneration. Okay, I'm just explaining what the history is. Okay, so for essentially 1,500 years, 1,400 years, that was the position of the church. Was that repentance? I even have my, I have my notes here. That repentance. Uh, was connected directly. This is, so this is how I'm summarizing, even though the church fathers may not always use these exact words, I am now summarizing that repentance was directly connected to works and salvation, producing a system of rites and penance rituals. Okay. Salvation began at baptism, which washed away sin. So the, the formula was like this. You repented, you got baptized, all the, all your sins from your baptism to the past were forgiven, okay? Um, So they were all washed away. So what would happen if you sinned again? Well, then you would have to repent again, all right? And so the real debates, the debates that you can find, had to do with, well, how many times are you allowed to repent after you're baptized? And what kinds of sins can you get away with? Can you be, not get away with, but what kinds of sins are allowed, right? And so you had an early church father with Tertullian, which is the, say, the 200s, okay? What he came up with to try to help resolve this was a small list of sins that you that lead to death. That if you commit these, you get one shot. You get one bite at that apple. Okay, you can commit adultery or murder or uh, adultery. Sorry, murder. I don't know the whole list, but it's roughly seven. Right, seven deadly sins. Let's call them that. Okay, so he came up with this idea, uh, and he says, "Look, you can do these once." Right? And then once you do these, uh, you don't get baptized again, but you have to go through a system of repentant rituals and rites to come back into the church. And a lot of people are like, you know, that, that sounds like a good idea um, because we don't just want anybody in the church, right? Um, so there was, some deba- there was There were some people who would say like, oh, no, actually, uh, if, if you commit those, you're done. There would be others who would say, no, we don't need a list like that. And so what happens over, say, the next <clears throat> five, six, seven hundred years, is the intensity of which penances were demanded by people who post-baptism sinned would go up and down. Okay? And that's where a lot of the heated debate, the actual arguing would happen. It would be, okay, so after you've been baptized, okay, uh, and you start to repent again, so you're changing your mind of this this sin or you're feeling sorry for that sin, uh, what is demanded of you, and oh, by the way, very quickly, there was a requirement to confess these sins to priests and bishops um, so sometimes it would be super stringent, and then people would go, wow, you guys are just this is just too much right and then it would it would it would slowly relax, and then eventually they'd go we 're just letting anybody back right they'd just run off doing anything some guy uh, this was um, clement of rome he was he was the uh, the, the bishop of Rome after Peter, okay, so Clement of Rome said that uh, there was one guy that he knew who, after he was baptized, shortly after, um, so he was baptized, he, he, he started serving in the church, but then he decided to run off, and for many years, he was the leader of a roving, roving gang of thieves, and then eventually came back, right, and so there was debate over whether or not uh, he should be allowed back into the church, okay, okay, just as an example, so that that uh, was to greater and lesser degree the church's position—not even position, because there was no formal position, like I said—but that was the the accepted realities with on a spectrum of the church until the Reformation, right? So, about fifteen seventeen, when the Reformation, Reformation takes place, this idea gets shouted from the rooftops that. No, it's not baptism. It's faith alone and Christ alone. So that means that repentance has to take a, a different form of meaning to the church, to a Christian. Okay. So what they say is, or, or the, so the, the reformers rejected the previous formulation that I had given. Right? Uh, repentance, baptism, washing of sins, then confession systems after, if you sin, um, if, even if you're allowed back in. Uh, they go to a different formulation. It's all sins are forgiven at conversion. Um, there's no penance. You don't have to like get in front of the the church and scream and, and wail while the bishop is given his homily. And then when he's done, everybody else screams and wails, and maybe everyone throws themselves on the floor with you. Like this was that's an example of something that happens uh, in the super early church, right? So pre what we would think is official Catholic church. So what they said in those, no, metanoia, metanoia, is a change of mind. And then that moves us into, and that, that lasted for uh, a few hundred years, which moves us into the modern era, right? And we get basically three versions of repentance. Okay. So if you were hoping to leave here today with uh, a clearer understanding of repentance, um, He came to the wrong class. There are three big versions of repentance, okay, that are actually seven. But your three versions of repentance right now are contrition, confession, penance, so the Roman view. Uh, There is a view where you, you turn, repentance is you turn from your sin. There is the view where it's a willingness to turn from your sin, and then there's a the view that it is a change of mind about sin, and then conversely about Christ. Now, for the sake of time, because this is now 930, I'm going to skip the Old Testament stuff, okay, and just say this, right? When you look at the Old Testament, um, the, what you have primarily in, with the use of the, you know, all the stuff that's translated to repentance you have um, people turning from sin and back to God. So people repenting, turning from sin and turning, so turning away from evil deeds and doing good deeds. Okay, That's repentance in the Old Testament. But that should be understood in the context of the Mosaic Covenant. Because the, the, the nation of Israel, the individuals living in the nation of Israel, the Israelites... They, have, they basically have a deal with God, if you remember, right, in Deuteronomy. They, God made a deal with them, right? You, can, you keep my commandments, I will bless you. If you violate my commandments, I will curse you. And so there is, a, there is a constant refrain of God and Moses and Israel leaders of saying, turn from your sin, right, which is the path to death because of the cursings, and turn to God, which is a path to life because of the blessings, right? You could be a... A Jew uh, who turns, who obeys the law and so reaps the blessings, but maybe still has a heart of stone. Okay? We, we know those people as Pharisees. Okay? And if you just, uh, well, I, we're not going to read them, but you know, this is what happens to Jonah, Isaiah 55, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. 14. If my people who are called by my name would turn, right, I will bless them. Uh, it's within the context of Mosaic law. All right. So New Testament. Okay. The New Testament concept there. Here, I wrote down like seven different ways to look at this. Okay. So I'm just going to read them from my notes. I, I kept thinking I was done and then doing more stuff. So that's why I have separate notes here. So there's, let me just read these. Okay. So there's turn from your sin. Turn from your sin forever, so ad nauseum, so it's a constant turning from sin, and to obtain and keep your salvation. Turn from sin to obtain secure salvation, having a willingness to turn from sin, then post-conversion turn from sin, but you could still potentially lose it. A willingness to turn from sin to obtain a fully secure salvation, Change your mind about yourself and Christ. Then, post-conversion, turn from sin to keep salvation. Change your mind about self and Christ to obtain secure salvation. So those are roughly seven seven different, say, views. And you could, you know, if you were to build a matrix, you could try to use this matrix as a way to like push onto the New Testament and say, okay, where am I going to fall, right? So what are the different things that I'm okay with? That's why I started this class with... Um, what we looked at as the foundation for understanding the concept of repentance is that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, right? So it's grace, it's unmerited favor. So whatever we think about repentance, I think, has to fit into that rubric of understanding about, what's about how faith is received, how we get eternal life. So, also, so some of those. Um, well, let's take a look at. Let's take a look at Luke. I'm going to throw some. I'll point over here. Somebody over here, turned to Luke twenty-four forty-seven. Somebody here in the middle, can you turn to Matthew nine thirteen? And we get to Luke twenty-four seven uh right, twenty-four forty-seven. Yes, go ahead. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And Matthew nine thirteen. Sorry, I'm
1: But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, to,
0: but sins to repentance. Okay, so we do see, and there's more verses, right? We do see that repentance is a thing that happens pre-salvation. Okay, so there there is the idea that repentance happens pre-salvation. So, if we're talking about, how are we going to best understand repentance? All right, we're trying to constrain, so we have a constraint of, of, well, all all the potential meanings, okay? Metanoia means essentially a change of mind. We have the uh, salvation, which is a free gift by grace, unmerited favor that we receive through faith, and we have repentance that precedes salvation. So, you know, if repentance precedes salvation if it is a condition like repentance salvation if it's a condition of salvation but we believe that faith is um, the only way to salvation right placing your faith in Christ is the only way to salvation that puts us in a position to then to to connect repentance to faith in a very intimate way so somebody from over here Luke 17 3 through 4 and then say somebody else in the middle here acts 822 yes yes you can I'm just because I'm just going I mean, to y- yes please.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Question.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank, you. thank you. That's it. Okay. No, I mean, you. Uh, I was going to get to First Thessalonians one nine, but you. have No, I like that. Sorry about that. No, no, no. I, I I'm not. That's a joke. I'm not a joke. I, I like that. I like it when people bring, bring up where I'm going because, uh, you know, especially someone like you, I don't feel like I'm far off. Like, I, hey, that's what I was going to say. I was, I was getting there. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, we really have two things at stake here. Uh, oh, Luke seventeen thirty four, Acts eight twenty two. Who had? Who has Luke seventeen three through four? Three through four. I think I might have said thirty four. Yeah, Luke seventeen three through four. And then Acts 8.22, somebody, did somebody have that? Repent, therefore, of all your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Yeah, and that was to Simon, I believe, right? I didn't read that. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so I think there are two key ideas for repentance at stake, Okay there's the idea there is an idea of salvation and there's an idea of so we'll just call uh, fellowship okay and um, the book of john 1st corinthians 15 1 through 4 15 1 through 4 is so we call the book of the john the the expanded version of the simple gospel right cuz and um 1st corinthians 1 through 4 the simple version of or say the the most minimal Uh, version of the full gospel okay now an interesting thing to note about the book of john which is usually which is often called the book of belief there's no mention of repentance so i I found it interesting that the book of belief does not mention repentance okay it mentions belief a lot now if we're talking so since we're talking pre-salvation and like he was just saying uh i i think so here here's what i'm saying i think that repentance and faith as a condition for salvation are synonymous. In other words, that is to say that the faith that you have, the kind of faith that you have, is the kind of faith that says, I am here. I am now here. Okay? Now, at a minimum, if, to, if, if you're changing your mind, like I could change my mind, this is an illustration I, I gave uh, in this conversation yesterday with my dad. Okay? I said, if you're if you're, and this may not be the best illustration, so no, no stone throwing. If you're driving to Chicago, cause you believe that has the best steak in the country. Okay. You're driving to Chicago. You're like, I think that's the best steak in the country. Your friend calls you up and he says, Chicago does not have the best steak in the country. And you're like, oh, I changed my mind. So you turn away from Chicago. Okay. That is repentance. That is a change of the mind. But that is not the kind... There is a, a one more element when we talk about faith in Christ. We talk about that kind of repentance, that kind of change of mind. Right? As if far were to add to the analogy, he doesn't just end his conversation by saying, Chicago doesn't have the best stake in the country. He says, no, actually, Omaha has the best stake in the country. Okay? And you go, oh, so I turned from Chicago to Omaha to go receive the best stake in the country. Now, it's just an analogy. That's the way I understand it. I'm not saying, that's not an argument for, for what repentance is. This is what I think, this is my view of repentance what I, or what I think scripture is teaching. That is the kind of change of mind that is required for faith. So you're you going, okay, so I'm now putting faith in the idea that Omaha is the best stake in the country. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Omaha. Okay? It might, maybe it takes you a while to turn around. Maybe you get hit by another car. But you've changed your mind. Okay, and here's H.A. Ironsides says this about repentance. Repentance is the very opposite of meritorious experience. It is the confession that one is utterly without merit. And and if he has ever saved at all, it can only be through the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all, his firm footing for the soul who realizes that all self-effort is but sinking sand. Christ alone is the rock of our salvation. So repentance in the, in the, in the New Testament, uh, when we're dealing with pre-salvific pr- pr- repentance, so uh, repentance as a condition for salvation, is synonymous with faith and is always a change of mind. Repentance um, as a precursor, right? So uh, when I say that, I, I mean, it happen- it's the thing that happens before salvation, right? You, I mean, <clears throat> does that make that sense, right? So you can't hold, to try to put it in maybe more uh, biblical terminology, you can't hold to both the law and to faith alone, okay, as positions of salvation. Or you can't hold to both of those at the same time. So if you held that the former, the law, is a component of belief in the latter, faith alone, okay, and then you change your, then you change your mind. In other words, I, I used to think it was the law, but now I think it's just faith, okay, The effectiveness of the former brings about eternal salvation. So the effectiveness of the faith brings about eternal salvation. So if you have, you're, going, you're thinking like you're a Jew, okay, and uh, you're going, well, I think it's the law, right? The law can bring me this. And then along comes Paul or along comes the apostles and they go, no, it's not the law. And you go, oh, my word, you're right. Right, I see in the Old Testament this is all pointing at Christ. Well, ha- however, that process happens, and you 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 now change your mind. Right, you put your faith in Christ. I mean, to a Jew, right, to a Jew, simply just putting their faith in Christ in a vacuum is not going to happen. Right, so they're putting their faith in Christ in lieu of putting their faith in the law. And so, when we, again, when we talk about change of mind. That's what we're talking about. You're putting your faith in Christ alone in lieu of something else. In lieu of there being nothing else. In lieu of you being able to earn your salvation. Like, oh, I'm a good enough person. The meritorious favor that you can earn. You're changing your mind about what all of those other potential things might be. And putting your faith in Christ as a as an intellectual position, as a position of the will. Amen. Yes. I'm glad you asked that question at the end of the uh, end of the class because I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> so we're so we talk about faith, so if, if repentance, or we talk about faith, real real quickly here, um, we're talking about a few things. Okay, we're talking about believing in God's word. That is, whatever God says He's going to do, right? You believe He intends He is going to do that. And you believe he has the power to accomplish what he intends to do, right? So if you look at the New Testament, we're talking about the gospel, right? You are saying, okay, God says, if I put my faith in the work of Christ, he will save me. I will obtain eternal life. He will impute the righteousness of Christ to me. And in a a very legal sense, he will declare me just, justified, Okay. So that is what God says he's going to do in the New Testament, right? So you're like, okay, so I'm changing my mind, whatever you had you held before, you're like, I believe that now, but you also believe that he has the power to carry that out. Right? So in other words, God makes the promises, God does all the work to fulfill his promises. It's, you know, that is what I think the in in a way to maybe condense what it is, what you have your faith in, okay? you turning from whatever it was to that and it just so happens that what God has said is well it's it's about my son on the cross right first Corinthians uh, or yeah 15 1 through 4 right he died on the you know, the Christ died on the cross for the for the penalty of sins he was buried he was raised again on the third day and he revealed himself to many right both friends and enemies who became friends right James and and Saul who became Paul, right? You believe that, that's where you're putting your faith, you confess with your mouth, we saw in Romans, right? These are, the, these are the things, right, that get you saved. And repentance is a part of that faith journey, that faith, I don't want to call it a transaction, I don't know what else to call it at the moment, but say that transaction, right? You have faith in God, God says, good enough, right? Because you can't do anything really, that's truly good enough in a work sense. So he's like, good enough, I declare you just, right? Once you add to that, I think, once you add to that, once you say, well, no, repentance um, actually requires you not just to turn from sin in a sense of uh, like, well, you know, sin is bad, but to turn to obedience in a sense that, okay, you're going to strive to be obedient as a part of that repentance is not quite answering your question. But if that is a precondition for salvation, then you have destroyed uh, faith alone, right? So now, what I said before about fellowship, I think, uh, speaks to a repentance um, once you are saved, right? So once you've kind of moved into the family, there's a repentance that is, uh, okay, so I, you're, you're, being, you're reading Scripture now and you're being told, this is wrong, this is wrong, whatever that is, right? You're convicted by the Holy Spirit. You've, you've offended a brother, those are the, those are the kinds of repentance that is like, now I actually have to, I'm trying to be obedient, right? Now I'm trying to be obedient because that is, it's, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to merit anything other than uh, potential rewards in heaven, right? And then, and then, I'll, what's, what's the verse? Uh, I wrote so much stuff down, I'm sorry. But it basically says, uh, you know, uh you're saved as if by fire right so you the, the foundation has been laid and then as christians we can build on that foundation but then some of us when you know the judgment the final judgment comes some of that it'll all be tested by fire and some of it will completely burn up some of it will have no good works it'll just be the foundation of christ um and so i think it's the you know those would be people who uh post salvation they they didn't do anything they didn't repent they didn't Uh, 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 chase after good works in the way that uh, they should have. So that is that is time and I don't know if I've done a very a good job uh, at all of talking about this. My wife said I'm probably going to spend too much time on history. I don't know if I spent too much time on on that. But let's pray. Lord thank you for the time we have together. Thank you for um, giving us a way to enter into a relationship with you, to enter into your rest, Lord, to to move from a position of being your enemy to being at peace with you, not on our own efforts, uh, because we would we wouldn't do it, Lord. I just thank you for um, the meritorious or the unmerited gift of salvation that you give to us, that we only need to um, get into the kingdom. Um, through faith, Lord, that that, that is the, the means, the, the way that it happens, um, because you're, you are merciful, you are graceful. I just thank you for that, Lord. And I just pray that as, as, uh, as Christians, we wouldn't just sit around, Lord, that we would pursue holiness, that we would pursue go- godliness, that we would seek after your word, like Peter says, like uh, um, infants seeking the pure milk. Of the word Lord I just pray that those are the kinds of Christians that we would be that you would give us that kind of heart and pray for the service uh, that is taking place later today the, the the message that the pastor will bring us the communion that we're going to partake that you would bless those Amen.